Oh, hey there, listeners and juicers. Before we get into today's episode, I wanted to let you know that if you have fallen in love with the Draw Your Dice podcast and want to help put some new fruit on the table, but don't feel comfortable making a monthly commitment, well, you can support the show via the ACAST supporter feature. No gift too large, nor too small. Just click on the link in the show description and know that I am sending you the strongest hug when you do so. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST.
Hello, everyone. Welcome to another rambly episode of Devlog for Umbral Dive, or project name Umbral Dive, because that may not be its true name in the future. Uh, my name is Jeremy Gage. As I hope that you know at this point, if you've been listening to the Draw Your Dice podcast for a while, uh, you can find me at JeremyGage5 over on Twitter, or you can listen to the announcements on the at draw your dice pod also on Twitter. And you can also go to have you played this.com where lots of this information is hubbed at. You can also join the, have you played this discord server where everyone hangs out, talks about stuff game related or not. Uh, make some friends. Come make some friends. We have we just as of the recording of this episode just hit a hundred members on our Discord server, so that's really cool. Um, but with all that out of the way, let's talk about Umbral Dive again. So last time I sort of introduced why I was making Umbral Dive. I guess this is a recap. This is like an anime recap. Uh, in the introduction, I talked about why I wanted to make Umbral Dive. It was super late at night, but I talked about a lot of the complaints I have with the traditional adventure skirmish game systems that are currently out there. I um, think there is a big space for someone on the indie side to make a tactical mat adventure RPG situation. So that is what I'm attempting to do, and it has turned into a big game. Uh, after that, I talked about the current concepts of the battle system, which have continued to mutate and alter over the course of its creation, as I think about new lenses to examine it from and how it connects to all the other um, systems that will be a part of this modular game. Um, I'm going to talk about characters today, but um, I want to give sort of a quick rundown on what I see design as moving forward. I'm attempting to make sort of this, if you can imagine like five concentric rings, maybe it's not five, maybe it's actually four, but when I think about the skirmish adventure model, I see like three zones of scope when it comes to gameplay. There is combat, which is the smallest scope. It focuses on second to second combat. Um, then another layer up is intimate role playing. So this involves like NPCs and things of that nature. Uh, inter interparty relationships. And then above that is kind of like delving or engaging with like the level, if you will. If this were a video game, this would be engaging with the level of the game. So the dungeon, the fortress, the mage's tower, whatever have you, mechanics for that. And then maybe it is four. Uh, and then fourth is sort of like the overworld, which is factions, campaign things, how the world responds uh, to 
certain actions that the players take, which makes the world feel alive. So I am maybe foolishly, but I don't particularly care. I'm essentially making four games. There will be no like core mechanic that goes through all the systems. So what I mean by that is D&D 5th edition kind of has a core mechanic in D20. Almost everything you execute from combat to roleplay involves the D20. Uh, there will probably be dice. There will be probably some cards, uh, but none of those are going to be linked together. My thought is that I want to create this, like I'm imagining these four rings and you can move, you can like take a ring out of its set. Imagine like a, like a baking cutter, like a circular baking cutter that you just remove one of the smaller sizes or larger sizes from. I also want the systems to be critical massable, which is something I'm making up. What I mean by that is I don't want a gameplay loop that says you go from the smallest circle to the biggest circle and all the way back again. I want a gameplay loop that says when you need this tool, when you need these sets of mechanics, they're there for you to answer certain questions. So if you had a table that was not interested in second to second combat, you should be able to remove that smallest ring and still enjoy the world of Umbral Dive. Um, so that's my ultimate set. I can get into more detailed ones if you want in the next devlog, but today I set out to talk about characters. And the reason I talked about that stuff first is because it kind of determines the mechanics that can be attached to a character. So first off, what's like the story of the world that you're engaging with? Well, the current setting name is called Crown, K-R-O-U-N, just because I'm getting weird with it. Crown is a world which is far, far flung in the future. It's heavily, heavily, heavily inspired by Horizon Zero Dawn, so it's what you would call post-post-apocalypse in a way that humans are no longer the dominant species anymore. We are so far separated from our, what we would call our modern era right now, maybe like a thousand years or some BS like that. The world has regrown in that short amount of time. Uh, thanks to a system called Dust, which are nanobots that helped to rebuild the planet, if you will. Helped a sort of like re revitalization process. And so we either have clones or people who have been altered by Dust or people who have been exposed to some sort of like weird mutation. So... That's the world that's going on. And the story that I want to explore is how do we grow the future of this world while being haunted by the memories of our destructive past? How do we deal with those things? Um, so as characters, I don't want there to be a 
progression system. I want there to be sort of like a deck building mix and match system for character creation. Kind of think of um, Slay the Spire, right? If you play the Ironclad, and which is like their warrior, you kind of have a couple different build archetypes that only really progress through synergies, which is what I which is what I love about it. You're never really like leveling up. You maybe gain access to new cards or something over the course of your gameplay. That's just sort of like a pacing gating mechanic. You don't really need, I don't really need to do that in this game. And so the idea is that you could make a, you know, health sacrifice build if you came across the right cards, or you can make a defensive build, or you can make a strike build, which is just using any card with that strike in the title. And you can have these different feeling characters underneath this larger umbrella archetype in the in the ironclad. There's a couple other builds, but um, I think my point is made clear. So characters are not going to have progression. They are going to be vehicles for engaging with the game. You can imagine them as like top level. I don't know, level 20 D&D characters or whatever. And you just sort of, you can swap out what they're called are tactics, your actions. You can swap out tactic cards and things like that on your board. Whole thing I'll get into. Maybe I'll do like a video version of that so everyone can see. But yeah, so the first thing about characters is that they're in this post-post-apocalyptic world. And... There is no progression for characters. But then you might say, well, Jeremy, what are we working towards? Well, we are working towards the progression of the world, right? If this story is about how do we tend, how do we become, how do we become stewards of our new planet in a way that we can learn from our mistakes of the past at some point, um, the world needs to progress. Factions and cultures need to progress. Um, so all progression will be focused on kind of like faction-style growth mechanics and unlocking new areas by getting renown or influence. So those are some of the first pieces of the character puzzle in terms of stats is you'll have renown and influence, which is very similar to how... Um, glory works in Aegon second edition you kind of just get um benefits from particular groups that you can call on favors over a course of time as you build influence and renown um, the reason why there are two different ones is renown is for your party which is related to factions and influence is related to another product that i'll talk about but it's sort of uh, my version of adventures or scenarios. Um, but that'll all become clear when I talk about other stuff. So what are characters made up of? Well, they're made up of an identity. And in this game, I didn't want to do any fantasy races or sci-fi races or anything like that. What I basically said is that you're neo-humans. You come in a couple different flavors. Um, you can be synthetic which means that you're an ai uh the 
some sort of like combination of dust that has become sentient in its own way. Uh, and you're sort of this, what, what do I want to call it? Cyborg, I guess. Think sort of like ghost in the shell, maybe kind of energy, sort of cyberpunky. Then there are uh, the clones, which don't have a good name, but they're basically cloned humans, basically your regular ass human. And then you have um, bonded, which are uh, in this game, again, heavily spawned, uh, inspired by Horizon Zero Dawn. There are these mecha fauna that sort of roam the land, but certain people have made packs or science or something like that, but you basically wear these um, almost anthropomorphic suits, if you will, of, it would kind of resemble like the Tenno from Warframe, but very animal looking. So like you might have a bonded deer person or something kind of in the synthetic realm. It's like a, it's like an in-between of synthetic AI and cloned humans where you're like this half and half uh, energy. So that's sort of the identity and shape you can take on. As you play the game, you'll, uh, as a part of your identity, you'll talk about like what region you're from in the world, which I'll get into on a settings discussion. And you'll also talk about like what your community job was before you came with the become what the player characters are called, which are alters. They're people who can tap into the dust and create sort of magical effects. Technology equals magic in this setting. Additionally, you can be uh, you'll have expertise, which is like a skill system that I have, um, which is has sort of like a Voltroning mechanic where you're stronger together as a party to complete tasks, but you're um, weaker but faster if you separate when you explore dungeons and stuff. There are five expertise currently. There's um, archaeology, which is understanding like the past, the mo- our, you know, we're known as the old ones. If you're thinking about who, who are we in history, we're the old ones. Um, so there's archaeology, there is um, eloquence, which is sort of like ambassadorship and um, speaking and writing and kind of like almost etiquette style things. It helps you speak to different cultures more easily. There's dust arts, which are people who do extensive research on the dust, the nanobots that create these magical effects. Um, then there is, um, bio studies, which examines like the megafauna and the greater region at whole, um, or essence studies, I think it's called. And then there is, oh, um, there is like a, what is it called? Computer science one where it's sort of like hacking focused and you're trying to work out the technologies of the old ones, which are these kind of like war machines or ancient dens called cauldrons where the 
megafauna are created, like giant factories. So that's what their skills are related to. So you have these five skills. Um, additionally, you have your dust slash drives. There are five colors of dust. There's red, blue, green, gold, violet. If they sound familiar, it's because they are. They're from Magic the Gathering. I don't, I don't have any intention of hiding that. But each um, dust color is related to a sort of internal truth or drive that the characters have that you sort of like follow throughout the game or the intention is that you follow them throughout the game. And they can change over the course if you want them to. They have a specific like circular order they go in. So if you were to be a um, gold colored individual, if you changed at the end of the session, your only options to change to would be the ally colors that you can float to, which in this case would be blue or green based on its location. So uh, I'll have another devlog that goes more specifically into the dust colors and the drives and stuff. And then you're also made up of roles as a character. So this is taking from concepts like Final Fantasy 13, uh, Final Fantasy 14, sort of like the MMORPG space. And it's sort of like my attempt at class design, but it's a little bit more generalized than specialized in terms of your player characters. So you'll get access to two roles, and each of your roles will have a training loadout which is, has arsenal and skills and things. The five roles of the game are uh, wardens, who are like your tank characters, vanguards, which are your physical damage dealers. They uh, Both of these two roles use in the setting EMP weapons. They're sort of like these light weapons that um, disrupt dust for a little bit to get rid of manifestations, which are the basic enemies of the game. Then there are um, invokers, which create sort of supernatural effects using the dust. They recreate sort of natural, you know, it's your fireballs and stuff, but the dust, the nanobots recreate that by rebuilding themselves rapidly and producing that effect. So you sort of like hack in or tap into the dust to produce these abilities they do sort of quote-unquote magical damage, either melee or range, depending on your training. Um, then there are breakers, which use... Uh, you can imagine them, again, as like hackers in a way, like the invokers, but instead of commanding loose dust in the air, they try to like send simulation viruses to manifestations, and those create effects like poison or bleeding or stuns or things of that nature sort of like your status effect role um through the lens of hacking the the manifestation and then the last one is synergist which is like your healer slash supportive class um they focus on using the dust to enhance the human body in some way so it comes at a cost. You um, you have to be careful of how much you're corrupted by the dust as a as a person. Otherwise, you can kind of be driven mad by its influence. But they send like dust into your body to give you you know superhuman abilities. 
super speed, strength, uh, create barriers of light to protect you, things like that. So those are roles. And then um, you have tactics, which are going to be cards in nature. Different tactics uh, come in different styles depending on your role and your training. There are basic actions in the game, which I'll do another combat um, devlog to get more specific into that. But um, you essentially get these cards that are like weapons with moves on them. And you can sort of like mix and match these weapons depending on your role. For instance, right now in the playtest materials I'm working on, uh, I have a Vanguard training, which is you can consider a subclass. A training is a subclass. I have a Vanguard training with an arsenal of two hand axes. And then they have a lot of response skills or reactions that involve movement. So they're sort of like a moving flurry of slashes. Um, they get behind enemies really easily. They kind of like dance in a circle in a melee range around foes. Um, so they're very much like a like a. They kind of hone in the concept of perfect dodge, if you will. And so why are characters created this way for combat? You have five roles, as I mentioned earlier. All characters have all five roles, but they have different stepped die as a piece of them. So, for example, if you are a rank three Vanguard, your die would be a D10. It goes from D6 to D10. And uh, you might have Synergist D6. You might have Breaker D6. You might have Warden D8 or something to that effect. And you gather these five dice and you roll them and you allocate them on your tactics board and that determines the effectiveness of certain abilities or their impact, as I call it. So you do this five dice roll, then you place the results on these little slots that help remind you throughout the battle uh, what you rolled and for what. And you're making decisions about that dice allocation for when you interact with like a dungeon or something like that, or do RP level things, um, you roll your expertise plus your drive or your dust color. And that's sort of taking from Aegon 2nd edition, where you roll a couple of dice and you use the results of those dice with everyone in your party to decide who succeeded at the task and excuse me, who succeeded at the task and um, how everyone else contributed to that success. So it's sort of like a cooperative version of Aegon's second edition mechanics. And then um, you have, additionally, characters have culture uh, knowledge as a part of them, like a knowledge category, and they're broken up into the different regions. And I'm doing this sort of like percentile dice system where you roll D100 based on whatever the stat is. Uh, and that stat can grow. That's probably the only piece that can grow um, in relation to like the character is like their influence and how well they know a particular region. And you can answer this is like a either the GM gets to answer a world question or you get to answer a world question based on the results as the player. Um, 
So you might have like a 20 out of 100 and you have to roll under. So you roll your D100 and you rolled a 21. So the GM would get to decide uh, some lore about Crown's Fall or something like that. Or they get to interpret uh, a certain mechanic that way. So that's kind of characters in a nutshell. You play these, what's called, they're in, in cinema, they're called flat characters. The idea that it is a it is a character that doesn't change throughout the story, but because of their internal truths or drives, they influence the world around them to change. So some examples of movies that do this are Paddington, um, Back to the Future, um, Amelie, um, let's see, can't remember the other ones off the top of my head, but the idea is that their characters who wants and needs are going to be satisfied at the end of their narrative, and they've made no change. They got everything they wanted by continuing to be the person that they are, and the world around them responds to that. So in Back to the Future, um, Marty McFly wants his dad to be more assertive and more confident. And so Marty never really changes. Oh, uh, Katniss Everdeen is also an example of a flat character in that the world changes around her, but she never really changes as a character. Now, that isn't to say that any of these characters don't gain new skills or attain uh, new physicalities about them or um, gain new perspectives from the people they meet, but they always challenge those perspectives with their internal truth, and that sort of never changes throughout the film uh, or the story. So uh, that's what I want to, that's sort of like my dangerous experiment. I think that one of the things that attracts people to D&D is that they love to see the progression of their character. But I think on a sub, from my sort of intuition and viewing of actual plays and how people talk about their characters on Twitter, half the time they're also talking about how NPCs are changed by their interactions or how factions are changed because of their characters actions. And that can still be accomplished without having your character grow, but just being the type of character that you want to be in the story. And I find that really fascinating. And you know what? People who play the game after it's done may not exactly play that way. They may end up doing stories where their character is the one focused on growth and that's okay. Um, but that doesn't come with mechanical benefit. Your personal growth doesn't uh, affect you in levels or new spells or anything of that nature. Because that's just not the game I want to design. That's very inspired by um, also Spencer Campbell's uh, Nova and Light and soon to be void in that you play like a highly decked out character from the rip. And that's great. Like people are responding really positively to that. And I think that's an amazing thing because I feel, you know, again, coming from D and D that D and D progression is so 
slow sometimes and you always try to match what's happened like you try to have the world challenge the characters on even footing at all times and i'm not really interested in that especially on the combat side of things i think i think combat should be hard not necessarily gritty or like lethal or deadly but like challenging like truly challenging in a way that new mechanics are coming at you very very mmorpg like how do you make you know in final fantasy 14 how do you make level 90 or max level content feel different from other max level content it's about the mix and match of abilities it's about the amount of damage you need to output the amount of damage you need to survive it's not necessarily about like you didn't have a certain ability or that you didn't necessarily bring the right well i want it to be about like party composition and um tactics and things like that but it's hard for me to parse exactly what i'm saying if someone if someone knows what i'm trying to talk about in terms of like the difference of playing content that doesn't require progression like oh i don't know uh arkham horror might be an example of that or the lord like card games card games are actually kind of like that card ccgs and lcgs are kind of in the frame of what i'm thinking about in that you don't really grow as a as a deck you just try out different synergies that give you a power boost like the more optimized or creative you can be uh grants you better ability to do the gameplay loop so summary we talked about characters today characters that will um by design intention, explore flat arcs where they have internal truths that they believe and they navigate the world and cultures using that drive. You are made up of roles and expertise and identity and uh, tactics and trainings. And you navigate a world where you're trying to help foster and steward it and Um, protect it from the mistakes of the past to the best of your ability uh, on an intimate level where you're playing characters that are never going to be in a position of power. It's not really a power fantasy. It's more a solar punk-ish simulation cool like i said i've been jeremy gage um you can find me brain blasting on umbral dive stuff over in the hypt discord Uh, i have lots of cool cool ideas and things coming with umbral dive i'm hoping to have a play test done by the end of March. So if you want to be a part of that, 
closed alpha, uh, I'm going to be picking people from the Discord. No Twitter announcements or anything like that. It'll just be strictly Discord stuff. So I, if you want to be a part of that, please come join. Uh, you can find links to that on uh, on my Twitter, I believe. Uh, yeah. So thanks for joining me. If you listen to this and you have any questions about something I didn't talk about or you're really looking forward to like a setting devlog or you want to learn more about Magic the Gathering color theory or um, anything that, that you just want deeper knowledge of, please send me a message. I'm happy to direct my devlogs in that direction because if that's what's fascinating, that's what's fascinating. Uh, I can also talk about sort of the inspirations for mechanics as I as I go but yeah I'll talk to you next time thank you deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.